I'm just going to read Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2 again. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to seventy years or eighty, if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Thank you, Robin, uh, for the first part of our reading. Um, You'll understand why it's in two parts later. Uh, If you won't come to me, I'll come to you. Now, if you read that before you came this morning, and you still came, doesn't read too encouraging, does it? Um, Truthfully, not the easiest of uh, psalms. I think um, it's easier to understand if we know a little bit of the background. You'll see from your Bibles that this psalm is written by Moses, the man of God. You see also that it's a prayer rather than a song. Some scholars suggest that he wrote this after the Israelites had rejected the reports of the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, but chose to believe the other ten. You remember the story, don't you? Because we, well, some of us used to sing it in a children's chorus. Twelve men went to spy in Canaan. Ten were bad, two were good. The two good were Joshua and Caleb, who reported a land flowing with milk and honey, and um, which was different to the other ten who only saw the problems and the difficulties of uh, uh, the giants that occupied the land. And so as a response, the people, when confronted with these two differing reports, rebelled against God and complained against Moses and Aaron. What they said, you can find in Numbers, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we died in Egypt, or in this wilderness. Why is God bringing us to this land, only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. 
wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Do you remember the Exodus, don't you? God's great plan for his people, the promised land, and they rejected it. If we read the whole story, we discover that as a result of that, these people were doomed to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. It is only their children, their successors, who would see this promised land. With the exception of Joshua and Caleb, they would all fall in the wilderness. Moses didn't see the promised land. He lived until he was 120 years old. And we are told that as a young man, he chose to serve God rather than uh, a life of uh, comfort and leisure as a son of Pharaoh. In Hebrews, we read that by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible." That is the background to this psalm, the circumstances and the man who wrote it. The man who prayed that prayer was a man who had made a choice. He had chosen God. He had rejected comfort and safety and chose danger and hardship for God. He did it, why? Because he was a good man? Well, yes, he was a good man. He was a man of God. But Hebrews reminds us that the crux of all these men, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and many others, was faith. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is about. It says, by faith. And if we are a people of faith, this has a relevance for us today. And you see also here, that Moses was a man not with, although he was engaged in the present, as all we are, but he had his eye on eternity. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. So there's our background. We are told that when Moses died, his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. As I look around, <laughs> bit by bit, that's life, isn't it? That's, that's aging. And um, uh, as a congregation, sad, you know, and Paul alluded to in his, his prayer, didn't he? We're an aging congregation, most of us. And um, uh, so some of this psalm resonates. Of course it does. But um, I don't want us to go away this morning, um, downcast. Old-fashioned word, I know, but you know what I mean, don't you? I don't want to go away um, thinking, oh dear, life is short and full of trouble. 
Because that's true. But it's not true, as we'll see, for the believer. It's not true uh, for the Christian in quite the same way. In quite the same way. I want us to concentrate this morning on verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It comes sort of in the middle of the psalm, not quite. But I believe that that's what the psalm is built around. I believe that that really is the key verse in this passage. The idea is to be aware of time and how we use it, how we spend it. That's why um, with the children we did that. I know I lost my way with the arithmetic. You know, that's why with the children we did that little uh, exercise. I did do some research to find out, you know, what the statistics are, how long people do this, how long do that. But as you all quite rightly pointed out, there are so many variables. Because the answers are depending on where you are in your life. If you're a student, for example, apparently you spend a lot of time sleeping. I didn't realise that. Um, and hopefully on education, but the, I don't know. Um, and uh, then if you're in a particular kind of occupation, you know, your time is split up in different ways and, and so on and so on. There are so many variables. But it is a good exercise, isn't it, to think about how we spend our time. This psalm does make it clear that life is a finite thing. And we see um, that contrast between an everlasting God, the creator of everything. And that's where the uh, opening verses uh, uh, tell us. And mortal mankind. We are bound by time and destined to die. That, that, that's inescapable. But for God, time is not measured in days, but measured in millennia. There's an old gospel hymn. I, I, I thought back and I, th- I think I may have slipped into a habit on these little occasions of bringing you an old hymn in the sermon. Well, it's not a bad habit, is it? But there's an old gospel hymn uh, which begins, Life at best is very brief, like the falling of a leaf, like the binding of a sheaf, be in time. It's a long hymn. I won't um, read all of it to you, but it's written as a plea to turn to God before it's too late. Another line says, Fairest flowers soon decay, youth and beauty pass away, or you have not long to stay, be in time. It's not fashionable today to sing such hymns, but the hymn echoes the psalm, and the psalm is still relevant today. We need to understand that we are dealing with a holy and a righteous God. Verse 8 makes it clear, doesn't it, that our life is not hidden from God. To him we are an open book. We may succeed in hiding it from others, but not from him. I also um, think it's the responsibility of the preacher to make it very uh, clear what it is um, what the gospel we preach is, what the good news we preach is. We often address one another, don't we, thinking that we're all at the same place, we're all on the same journey, to use a hackney phrase. But let me remind you, first and foremost, that the most important thing is to put things right with our God. That sin 
that he knows all about is what keeps us from him. That sin is the reason that he sent his son to die for us, to be our saviour. That sin is what we need to repent of as we turn to him and accept the forgiveness and the salvation that he gives us through his son. That's the beginning, isn't it? That's the beginning of the Christian life and the Christian walk. That's why I think that things like baptism are so important because that's an opportunity no matter how young or old you are, to declare that that's what you have done and that's who you are. So as a Christian then, if we find ourselves in that place, if we're a child of God, here's the challenge, how we spend our time. As we saw earlier on with the children, we can fill up our days and our weeks and ultimately a lifetime. But how much of that will have been worthwhile? Unfortunately, our lives are governed by the clock. We have all kinds of times, meal times, even church time, a prayer time, a bedtime, etc. Sometime we must, of necessity, uh, spend working, education, all the things related with home life. And I guess the test is how we spend the rest of our time. Is it worthwhile? Does it help and encourage others? As we discover what the Lord's will is for our lives. We were given um, a heading for this um, Sunday, Psalm 90, Lifelong Spirituality. Well, for me, the challenge of this psalm is how we spend our time. That's, how, that's where it reflects our spirituality. In Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17, we read, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In the authorised version, verse 16 reads, Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. I understand that better. It means don't waste the time. It means, uh, what do we do these days? You know, we're so concerned, aren't we, about the um, environment and, and waste and everything, so we try to preserve and recycle Well, it's the same idea with our time, isn't it? Our time is not disposable in that sense. We're going to make the best use of it. And this is also echoed in the readings in Colossians 4. Colossians 4. If you want to look at that. I don't want to be prescriptive this morning. The temptation is to now go on to the practicalities and say, well, that means you should spend your time here. You shouldn't spend your time there. You should do this. You ought to do that. I'm not going to do that. Um, the moment I point a finger at you, I point thing, was it one at you, four at me. You ever seen that illustration? Right? If you point one finger at somebody, you're pointing three at yourself. 
But it's a challenge, isn't it, as to how our time is being spent and how our life on this earth is being spent. Just a brief moment in the light of eternity. You see, we're like uh, Abraham described in the old spiritual, that we're just a passing through. That's what it says, isn't it? Abraham, he was just uh, passing through. It says um, that he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. What was he looking for? He was looking for heaven. He wasn't looking for here. His feet weren't tied here. Although he had a tremendous life, didn't he? He had adventures and God did miracles in his life. He had a lot he could say about his life. His life here was full. The, the psalm doesn't say give up on life because, uh, you know, it's all hopeless and just sit and wait for heaven. No, that's not the message. The message is be aware of the brevity of life. Be aware of its troubles and its trials and its strife, but live it. Who for? For God. Live it for others and not for yourself. So it is sometimes about the choices we make um, and how we spend that time. As I was thinking about this, uh, you know, it's very possible that somebody else could pick up this psalm and see a different emphasis. But this is what I saw, okay? Time. How we spend your time. And as I was thinking about this, uh, um, I remembered that um, when I left the in, what was then the Inland Revenue in 1979, don't worry, I'm not going to give you 1979 to 2018. When I left in 1979, left the Inland Revenue, and I, I joined um, a national accountancy firm, the first thing I was presented with was a diary. And each uh, day in the diary, I had to record how I'd spent my time. And at the end of the month, I was given sheets of lined paper. They were about this big. They, they kind of covered your desk. Because it was a time sheet. And I had to fill it in to account for every day of that month. As time went on, they became weekly. And by the time I retired uh, in 2013, I was completing a timesheet, accounting for every six minutes on my desktop as I did the work on my desktop. So from 1979 to 2013, I accounted for every working day of my life. So I know a bit about time. And if, well, I won't, I won't labour it, but sometimes it was real pressure uh, and those who are familiar with that will, will know what I mean. But it was a good exercise too, because it made me think, has my day been worthwhile? Because my employer wanted my day to be profitable. That was the, the, the crux of it. That was the important thing, of course, that they made money out of me so that they could pay my salary, uh, give me a, an office and a desk and a, uh, uh, a computer and also... Um, drive their own flash cars and so on. But it was a good exercise to think each day about how I was spending my time. I don't think it's about leaving um, a legacy 
I also thought, as I was sat um, thinking about this, about these um, plaques here. Because they speak of people who spent their uh, time. Um, Heman Solway, a member of this church. Doesn't say much, does it? But for all we know, encapsulated in those few words is a tremendous life of service. We don't know. The um, one up here uh, says a little bit more, doesn't it? William Stodgill. Um, Because he was associated with Joshua Corp, the founder of the Baptist cause here. So you see, these people, they still got their... If any of you have um, been to the church at Luffwood, is it... uh, we were talking only last week, weren't we? There's uh, a meet, the meeting house at Luffwood there. And there's a memorial on that wall that the congregation put there. And out of it comes the love they felt for that man and the life he lived serving them. Yes, it's, it's good, isn't it, to have a memorial that people could say something of you. But, you know, I don't think it's about that. Because after all, when we're gone, what people think or say of us will count for very little, wouldn't it? Because we'll be in the presence of the Lord in eternity. But it is important, isn't it, that uh, people could say of us that we lived in a way that pleased God and benefited others. So, we've um, looked at, I did have uh, three points, you might not have realised it really. We've looked at how much time We've looked about how we spend that time. But I want to challenge us also about whose time it is. Peter, in his first letter, chapter 1 and verses 17 and 19, remind us, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here with reverent fear. That's what we've been speaking about, isn't it? About not belonging here, passing through. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And then Paul, uh, when he writes to the Corinthians, says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Our lives are not our own. Our time is not our own. What a challenge that is. As Christians, we belong to God. He's the one who's redeemed us, bought us back, And the price was his death on Calvary's cross. So with this comes great blessings, but also great responsibility as to how we live, as to how we spend our time. Teach us to number our days. Now, we're going to uh, watch... um, a video, a song being sung by Stuart Townend and his family.
And the song is called Keeping You Here. Listen to the words. It's written against the background of his brother when he was diagnosed with inoperable cancer. And as a response, uh, he wrote this song. like to stop the world from turning I'd like to pause it with my prayer I'd like to turn the clocks to zero Do all I can to keep you here Silence the marching of the seconds That sounds relentless in my ear Time is given, time is taken away The least that we can do is make the most of every day And we are given, we are taken away The best that we can do is give ourselves away
given, time has taken away. The least that we can do is make the most of every day. We are given, we are taken away. The best that we can do is give ourselves away. Here's the rest of Psalm 90 from verse 13 to 17. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants your splendour to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Thanks, Robbie. I found that song when I was uh, sort of searching for things that are appropriate. It's a wonderful thing, the internet and it just seemed uh, to fit. Not very many words were there really, they were very simple words but uh, very uh, profound, the idea of giving our life uh, away. Um, So Robin has read us the final part of the psalm and I have to say I'm not sure I could have preached on this psalm if it had ended at verse 12. Quite difficult. But you have to remember that this is a, a prayer And we have a God to whom we can pray and who answers prayer. There is hope. Uh, Moses, the man of God, he knew that. He knew not only the God of wrath, but also the God of love and the God of compassion who brings joy to his children. For us to be able to uh, claim God's love and that true happiness and fulfilment, we have to acknowledge our failings. So we have to have the verses up to verse 12. But then, having done that, we can pray the verses 13 to 17. And we can claim God's promises. And we're not going to go from here this morning thinking, oh well, (laughs) that's it, you know. Um, We're just going to live out uh, our time in pain and difficulty and trouble. Um, No, not at all. We have a life to live. And with that in mind, I want to bring you a final reading. And I'd like you to turn and uh, read this in your Bibles or in, uh, in a, a pew Bible. Because I want to use this verse to summarize uh, this morning. It's Hebrews chapter 13, which I think is about page 1,211 in the pew Bibles. And while you're looking for that, can I just say that I I don't apologise for us having a lot of Bible references this morning. When I I come to do these kind of things, I don't know. It's my way of doing it. I go from verse to verse. I see how, you know, the Bible is a whole book and teaches us 
things. So rather than sometimes looking at something and trying to give my explanation, I find there's a, a verse somewhere else that just says it for us. And, and so that's why uh, you know, you'll always get lots of references. And we're a church, we're a Bible-believing church. We're a, I hope we are a, a Bible church, because that's the church, kind of church I want to be at. So um, whatever, we, um, whatever we believe, however we, we behave, whatever decisions we make, we make as a fellowship, I would hope it would always be Bible-based. So, when I was um, thinking of this, this verse came to mind. And then another thing that I sometimes do is, um, at home I got this thick book. It's um, a book of Spurgeon sermons. It's only one of many volumes if you wanted to, to, to find them. Because all his sermons were, were, were printed out. And you know, do you believe in really strange coincidences? I thought, I'll have, I'll have a flick through Spurgeon, see if there's anything that fits the reading. Well, there wasn't. There was nothing on Psalm 90. But there was something on this verse. And you know, on the 14th of October, 1888, Spurgeon delivered a sermon on this verse. Isn't that uncanny? <laughs> Anyway, here it is. Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. And I want us to go home with this ringing in our ears. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good. And to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. <clears throat> I want us to go away with the words continually and sacrifice. You see, it's continuous praise. It's not just Sunday. It's not just your home group, your evening or a particular time you put aside. This is a lifetime activity. To praise God in our lives as we speak to others about him. As we demonstrate his spirit at work in us by how we live. And inevitably that has a cost. Hence it's a sacrifice of praise. It may cost us some time. It may cost us some choices. It may cost us some finance. It may involve giving up something. So that we can give our time for some, to something for God. I don't know. But for me, that encapsulates what I want to say this morning. Lifelong spirituality is continual praise. And that's not just speaking. What that means is living a life that pleases God. And it involves sacrifice. We're going to close this morning by singing a well-known hymn that echoes what we've been talking about. I had a, uh, a friend, he, he's, he's died now, uh, back in street many, many years ago. And one day he said to me, you know, Paul, he said, we often sing beyond ourselves. Now that, 
Speaking to me, that doesn't mean that I sing in, a, in a, you know, an amazing voice. No, that's not what he meant. What he meant was, we sometimes sing words that we really can't live up to. We sometimes sing of feelings that, if we're honest, at that particular moment, we don't have them. Because the hymn writer, of course, has caught a moment. And uh, so as we sing this hymn, let's make it a prayer uh, as we sing, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. I'm sure that uh, Francis Havergal, who wrote that hymn, had read those verses in Hebrews 13.